in our relationship with Christ. And so I think some of the things that we've been talking about in, Rome, in the book of Romans should be an aid and an assist to that. And especially this morning, we'll be going into the 8th chapter of the book of Romans. Uh, the 8th chapter is a... Uh, is just a monu- monumental book for uh, uh, for teaching the things of, the, of God and what He's done for us, but it's also just a, a blessing uh, in in other ways, and so uh, very practical, I think, when we look at it. And as as I trust the Lord will help us to look at it this morning, but as uh, as I have been doing, I will try to go back and look at a few things that uh, that are laid out uh, in the book of Romans and. Uh, and kind of build up to this eighth chapter. The, what, what I think you're going to find, and a lot of times we, we have a tendency, I think maybe us preachers do, uh, to kind of separate out the different chapters of the, of the letters that Paul has written like, they were, like they're different, you know, like it's a totally different subject or whatever from what's been talked about before. But I think as we look at it this morning, we're going to find a really good continuation coming out of Romans 7 into Romans 8. Uh, and the things that are being that are laid out there in Romans eight build off of the things that we had in Romans seven. So anyway, uh, if you if you haven't been with us up to this uh, up to this time, uh, either listening or in in our presence here this morning, then uh, we'll just go back and look at a few things to kind of give the broad picture again of the things that we find in the book of Romans. Uh, in this book in this book of Romans, we find that. Uh, uh, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Rome. The church at Rome is made up of both Jews and Gentiles, and the Jews and the Gentiles are struggling uh, with their relationship together. And, and part of it is because the Jews have, have had the law, they've had the things of God since the times of Mount Sinai, all the way back to, the, to God appearing to Abraham and so forth and so uh, they feel in their minds that they're superior to the Gentiles. At least that's the sense I get out of looking at this. And, and they're kind of looking down on them. So Paul spends a good portion of that first part of the letter making sure that they understand that we're all sinners, uh, both Jews and Gentiles. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And even though they had the law and they were blessed, Paul says there in the first part of the third chapter of the Romans, that they were, they were blessed because they had the oracles of God and the things of God and God's presence with them as they traveled down through the years. Yet the Gentiles, in, the, in their way, because they had the laws of God written in their hearts and in their minds, they, they served God in a righteous way that, uh, that sometimes the Jews didn't do, even though they had the laws of God and the commandments telling them what they needed to do. So the, so the Gentiles had been, were, were blessed and the Jews were blessed. And so he builds, builds this up and, and begins as we, we got over into the uh, fifth chapter of the book of, of, of uh, Romans. They're talking about the fact that, uh, that we're all justified by the blood of Christ. Uh, that while we've all sinned and become sinners through the transgression of one man, Adam, we've all been redeemed and justified by one man, Jesus Christ, on the cross. And he begins to carry that over. And he's addressing, I think I've mentioned this several times, but uh, repeat it again as we go into this. He's addressing also a problem that he 
and had heard or seen or and maybe didn't seen because he didn't had never been to the church at Rome, but had maybe heard that the church at Rome was experiencing it. And that was they were accusing the apostle Paul of preaching a doctrine about grace that says, you know, the the more uh, that somehow God is glorified in our sin because sin is covered by grace, and so therefore the more we sin, then the more grace there is, the more glory God gets. So they were actually in a way justifying their sins as a way of giving glory to God because grace covered that. And, and so Paul gets down after he goes through chapter 5 and gets to the first part of chapter 6, and he asks the question, Should we con- uh, shall we, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. <laughs> and so he, goes, he walks down through some things then about our service to God. Last, last Sunday we talked about chapter 7. And how that Paul addressed in chapter 7 the fact that uh, we don't need to be married anymore to the law. And that's uh, kind of, I started this out last Sunday, but I'll mention this again today. You know, one of the greatest things that people, I don't care if you're a Christian uh, or what, whatever it may be, one of the greatest problems each and every one of us has to overcome is past teaching. Uh, we've been taught in certain things, taught certain ways that this is how it is. And one of our greatest struggles is is trying to come out, come, overcome that. Well, the Jews had the same problem. They had been trained up, and they had gotten the idea that their righteousness had was come by the law. And so Paul lets them know in the first part of the seventh chapter of the book of Romans, he begins to uh, he uses a marriage analogy, and I mentioned this last Sunday that this is not the best place to go uh, to justify uh, you know staying married and uh, not having divorce and so forth and so on. But what Paul addresses to them here, he he makes the comparison back to the law. He says. To those of you that know the law, he said, a woman is bound to her husband as long as her husband lives. And then he goes on and says that that they, he said, Christ, uh, he said, the law is dead because it was fulfilled in the body of Jesus Christ. We went back, we can go back and look, you can read that first part of Romans 7, you can read what I'm talking about without me going and reading those exact verses. Uh, but he's, he's basically saying because your husband, the law, is dead, he says, now you're free to be married to another, which is Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so he, he gives them the example. The law's been fulfilled in the body of Jesus Christ. Well, how was it fulfilled? He was our sacrifice. He's the Lamb of God. He's the high priest. He's the blood offering. He fulfilled the law. The Bible talks about to a jot and to a tittle, to the very smallest punctuations and letters of the, uh, of the Greek alphabet. He says he has fulfilled the law in every way. And he says uh, because of that, you're dead to the law. And you're now free to marry this one that's Jesus Christ. And so uh, he begins to kind of address these, these Jews and say, you know what, the greatest problem you have is overcoming your past teaching, but you don't need to worry about that any longer. Your past teaching is dead in the body of Jesus Christ. Now be married to this one who is your Savior, who is resurrected for you. And then Paul goes on in the latter part of the seventh chapter of this book of Romans and makes the, makes the comment, he said, but just, and I'm, I'm going to put this in my words, just because you've been set free to be married to another, to this Savior who has saved us by his blood, justified us by his blood, just because of that doesn't mean all your problems are now ended. 
And, the, and he goes on to say that as being a born-again child of God, we have two natures. And the struggle that we have here in this life is these two natures, the Spirit of God dwelling in us by the new birth and the, the flesh that we have, which is still sinful, being together in that, that conflict that arises within us because we're tugged in two different ways. Paul And Paul lets them know, I have the same struggle. He said, he, he tells them there in, in, that seven, in that latter part of that seventh chapter as, uh, as we were reading through that, he says, uh, and I don't know that I want to dive in uh, to all of that, but he says, you know, the, the, uh, the law, the law uh, you know, says, you know, we need to do this. But he says, I, sometimes I fall into doing other things. Sometimes I fall after the manner of the flesh. And so as he, as he, as he gets into that, he, he also makes the comment that even, he said, when I would do good, and we'll get to the last part of this maybe a little bit. He says, verse, uh, let's start with verse 19 and we'll trans uh, transition into Romans chapter, uh, Romans chapter 8. He says, for the good that I would, verse 19 of Romans 7, for the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that, that I would not, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. He says, I find a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. Now, uh, he's talked about how we're dead to the law. And I think this, uh, you know, as you're reading the Word of God sometimes, you've got to be able to, as, uh, as the Apostle Paul told the young preacher Timothy, you've got to be able to rightly divide the Word of Truth. You've got to be able to separate it. He's, he's talking about the law here uh, in the first part of this chapter. He's talking about the old ceremonial law that we're dead to that because of the things of Jesus Christ and his work. Now he gets down here to the end of this thing and he says, I find a law. Uh, and, and this is a general law, if you want to call it, a general law of nature. Uh, I mentioned this in a, as my example here last week and maybe even the week before that, uh, talking about this law. Uh, you know, the, the Sir Isaac Newton found a law. Uh, he found a law that when an apple fell from a tree, it, it went to the ground, and that law he named gravity uh, uh, because he observed that things always fall down uh, when they, uh, as a result of this gravity gravitational pull that we have here on earth. Paul says, I find a law too. He says, when I would do good, evil is always present with me. Paul said, this is a general observation I have made uh, that when, when I do good, still I have this evil nature that's within me, this flesh that I have. And he says, for I delight, uh, uh, verse 22, for I delight in the law of God uh, after the inward man. God has written his laws in his hearts and his mind. He said, I delight in that law. But he also says, I struggle with keeping that law that's written in my heart and mind because my flesh desires other things and uh, uh, other times. And he says, it pulls at me and drags me, and I find that when I would do good, evil's still present with me. He says, I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. There's something tugging at us all the time. And, and, and I, I'm not telling you here this morning, or maybe those that might be listening, that there's something that tugs at us all the time to say, yeah, well, I know I ought to go and love my neighbor, uh, uh, but you know, my neighbor hadn't been all that good to 
me lately. Uh, uh, so what I really want to do is this. Uh, uh, well, I know I shouldn't be out uh, uh, doing certain things at certain times of the day or night, uh, uh, getting into trouble, doing those things of, of wickedness. But, you know, sometimes that's just what I want to do, you know. And so you see what I'm saying? There's this, Paul recognized this. You know, a lot of times it's uh, in today. Uh, there's a, there's a pro, you know, to me there's a problem in some of the, the, the Christian denominational churches that almost teach that once you're born again of the Spirit of God, you have more, no more desire to sin. Well, they're just lying. Uh, and they're not, even, uh, they're not even actually reading what the Word of God says. When you turn over to 1 John chapter 1, it says, the man that says he has no sin is a liar, and Christ is not in him. Uh, so uh, uh, John recognized this and wrote it down. Paul recognized the honest truth of the struggle that each and every one of us faces. And so, so then let's hear, let's hear his cry, and as we get into chapter 8, we'll find some of the answer, okay? You know, Paul, Paul doesn't just give you a problem and say, boy, we got a problem here. Uh, I don't know how we're going to do this. Paul gives you a problem and says, here's the answer. Here's how, here's how you address the problem, and here's how you overcome uh, these things. And so Paul says, uh, I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind. This is uh, Romans 7, 23. Uh, bringing me into captivity to the law of the sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Paul's like, I'm, I've got a a body here, a sinful flesh body, and he says, who's going to deliver me from this? I, oh, oh, wretched man that I am. I see, you know, sometimes do you get to focusing on your mistakes? You spend all your time focusing on your mistakes instead of rep looking at what God has done for you and what God is doing for you and what God will do for you, as Brother Charles used to say, uh, what he is doing, what he will do, uh, my friends, and, and, and what he has done uh, for us. We get to focusing on, oh, but I messed up. Uh, and Paul said, you can't live your life like that. You can't, he says, uh, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body? He was feeling it himself. I love the honesty of the scriptures where Paul, an apostle of God, is writing to the, these church at Rome saying, man, I struggle sometimes. <laughs> and you know what? Uh, when I get to focusing on my struggles and I see there's a war uh, going on in my members uh, that's warring against the law that I delight in in my mind. I delight in knowing the things of God. I delight in serving God. I am thankful God has delivered me by His grace. But there's a war going on. There's a war going on. And he says, I get to looking at me and I realize, oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God. I know what to do. I know what's right. God's written his laws in my mind. So with my mind I serve the law of God. But with the flesh, the law of sin. That's where the, that's where the problem is. Okay, so then he so then he goes on, and let's now let's transition over to Romans eight because Romans eight gives us again a recouch of the pro problem, 
but he also gives us the the uh, the solution. He also gives us the uh, the permanent solution as we get to as we get to the end of it. Uh, and and he tells us, I think, as we go through this Romans eight, how, what you and I need to focus on. Uh, and I was, I was thinking about it this morning as we were talking about prayer. We'll get to a portion of Scripture down through here uh, in Romans 8 where he says, I know not how to pray as I ought, but I'm thankful that the Holy Spirit intercedes for me with, with groanings that I'm not able to utter uh, and intercedes to God for me. And so I'm thankful. And you know what? That that knowing that, we'll get into that, there's a knowing that we have that God is on His throne and He knows what you're going through. He knows what struggles you're facing. Uh, he knows what trials you're facing. Uh, he's, not, he's not ordained that you'll have the struggle. He's not making you have the struggle. He's not calling you to do sin. Paul's already addressed that. Uh, but he says, He knows where you are. And here's, here's how you draw closer to God in your struggles. Okay, so he says, uh, as we bring this to an end, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. You want to know how not to be so condemned all the time? And that uh, uh, when he says there is no condemnation, there's no conviction. There's no, uh, uh, no accusation, if you want to call it that way. No, uh, uh, no conviction. I'm just going to go back to that way. There's no conviction if you're walking after the Spirit and not after the flesh. Uh, so if you want to know how to not be so convicted by this, Paul says, I have this struggle. How do I overcome this struggle? Well, I'm thankful that I overcome it through Jesus Christ, my Lord. But he says there's now no condemnation. You know what? I know I can look out here in the future, and I know that one of these days, all the sin's going to be done away with because he's coming back in the clouds, and he's going to take me home to be with him. And even uh, uh, one of these days, he's going to come back and get my body uh, and raise it again to be a glory. I know all that's coming, but there's now no condemnation. I need some I need some relief now, right? Well, there's now no condemnation to them that walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So here's here's part of the solution. You want to have you want to have more joy. You want to have more peace. You want to have that uh, as Brother Derek was saying this morning. You want to have a more a closeness with God. Then we'll, then seek the spirit of God. Seek after Him. Uh, we say, well, how do I do that? Well, let's, we'll get into that a little bit as we go down through Romans 8 here. Uh, uh, but uh, we're not to walk after the flesh. So when, you, when there's things that Satan tempts you to do and that your flesh maybe desires to do, don't go after the flesh Go the opposite direction. Flee these things. Uh, flee from the flee from those things that would tempt you and cause you to get into trouble uh, in this life. So there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Uh, I think that's probably important. Uh, he didn't say there's no condemnation to anyone. There's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus that are walking not after the flesh but after the Spirit. So I think we're setting a precedent here uh, that there's you're not going to feel any condemnation if you're in Christ, uh, but you're also going to not feel any condemnation now by following after the Spirit and not after the flesh. That's the key. 
for you and I is to be more spiritually minded than we are fleshly minded. And so uh, he says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Here's another, here's another law. We've been talking about the ceremonial law that we were set free from, this general law that Paul found when, uh, uh, that when I would do good, evil's always present with me. Now, the, the law of sin and death was set in motion back in the garden when Adam transgressed the law. That was the only law he was given. Uh, the day that you eat of this fruit here, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Adam, uh, uh, that day you'll die. And well, he, he, uh, he sinned and he died. But the, the law of the spirit of life in Christ, you, you know, you think about this. We talked about it a minute ago. There's a law of life in them purple hull peas. <laughs> you know who put that law of life in them purple hull peas? God put it in there. Uh, when you plant that pea down in the ground, all of a sudden you see the life spring forth, right? Uh, but there was life in there all along. The, the, the necessity of what was needed for life was in that pea, and it's in that uh, piece of corn, and it's in that wheat, and it's in that okra seed. Uh, be careful with them okra seeds, though. they got to be planted just right. Uh, anyway, uh, so, so the life is in there, right? He says, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. There's a law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that set me free from the law of sin and death. Amen uh, and, and hallelujah uh, that I've been set free from that law that, uh, that fell upon all of us because of Adam, uh, the one that transgressed the law back in the garden. We've been set free by another law, and that law is the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. He says, for what the law could not do, now we're talking not about the law of, the, of sin and death, we're talking about that law that God gave to Moses uh, and the law and the ceremonial law. He says, For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin uh, in the flesh. So what the what the law wasn't able to do. The law was never able. We could turn over to the book of Galatians, uh, probably to the book of Hebrews, and it tells us in both of those books that the law never was able to make us sinless. Uh, it never was intended to make us sinless. Uh, uh, and he says, here, uh, uh, the law could not do, for what the law could not do in that it was weak. What was the weakness of the law? It wasn't that the law wasn't good. Who gave, who gave the law? <laughs> God gave the law. What, would God give anything that wasn't good? The law was good. But the weakness of the law was you and me. The weakness of doing it was you and me because we're sinners. And, and you go back and look. If you go back and read through the law, go back and read through Leviticus and all the requirements of that thing. And you'll, you know, and, and not that it was bad because God gave it. That was what God called upon the children of Israel to do so they would recognize they were sinners. And as they recognized they were sinners, there were certain things they had to do. They had to make certain sacrifices every year. They had to give certain things back to their neighbor. They had to go and... Uh, make amends, and there was no end of doing it. And, 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 the, and the problem was, they all fell short of doing it all anyway. No matter, how, no matter how, how good they tried to do in following after it, they still came up short. Every, every year, they, were, they weren't doing all these things. And he says, the, the weakness of the law was the flesh. 
That's the reason you had to have a perfect one come along like Jesus Christ who fulfilled the law in his flesh and now that we're dead to the law that we may be married to another which is Jesus Christ, our King and our Savior. So he says, uh, uh, for what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God sent in his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He didn't just come, you know, There's. let's stop and read this real quick, what it says. He came in the likeness of of sinful flesh he didn't come in sinful flesh he came in the likeness of sinful flesh because his father was the Holy Spirit and God himself as he overshadowed Mary there and caused her to conceive and bear a son. He was pure and holy, my friends, because his father was not a sinner. And so as Jesus came forth, he was made in the likeness of sinful flesh and he was made for sin. Now, you got to understand, I, I know y'all do, but, but I like to take the time to explain things sometimes anyway. Uh, you know, he didn't come to sin. He came to be made sin for you and me. So when he says here, uh, <clears throat> God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin because he kept it uh, to a jot and to a tittle, every portion of the law he fulfilled. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us <clears throat> who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. After the spirit. So he came and condemned um, sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law, the, the law had a righteousness in it, okay? And, the, and the, you and I fulfill this righteousness not through the law, but through walking after the Spirit of God and following after Him. We do the essence of what the law intended all along. So he says that the righteousness of the law might be filled, fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. Again, he's telling us over and over again this solution here to this struggle that he even told us about in Romans 7. You and I are struggling all the time. And he says, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. So let's, let's bring this down to practical for you and me. <clears throat> if you're always pursuing things uh, that are non-spiritual, non-godly, you know, uh, I love watching the ball games on the weekends, you know, and on Saturdays. But if all I did was think about that seven days a week, uh, 24 hours a day, you know, or whatever waking time you have, you know, if all I ever thought about was, uh, boy, I need to be out with the friends, you know, having a drink, and I need to be doing this and doing that, and my mind is on, well, I need to be chasing after this woman or that woman or that man or whatever it might be all the time. If my mind is on the flesh things all the time and satisfying the lust of the eyes and the lust of the uh, of the ears and so forth, and if, uh, uh, if that's what my mind is on all the time that I'm going to tell you he says they that are after the flesh you, you know the more the more of that you do the more that's what you want and he says the more you do the more you want and he says so you need to be deciding am I chasing after the flesh or am I chasing after the spirit and he says for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. That's what they want to do. That's what, uh, that becomes their satisfaction. That becomes their pleasure. That becomes their joy. Uh, but he says, uh, they that are after the Spirit 
the things of the Spirit. You know what? The more you get to enjoy coming to church, hearing the preaching, reading the Word of God, doing what Brother Derek was talking about this morning, kneeling, I say kneeling, taking a moment to talk with God, pour out your heart to Him in prayer. The more you do that, the more you enjoy doing that. And the next thing you know, you find, uh, I have a friend in Jesus. Uh, I have a friend that sticketh closer than a brother, one that understands me and cares for me and leads me and guides me. And so he says, but they that are after the flesh, they mind the things of the flesh. Uh, you know, so from a, car, from a totally carnal, you know, not, not person not born again, of course they mind after the things of the flesh, but I don't think that's what he's addressing here. I think he's addressing the, continue to address that struggle that you and I have and saying, you know what? If, if you get to minding the things of the flesh, you can be just as, just as carnal as anybody else can be. But he says, but if you'll follow after the things of the Spirit, you'll mind the things of the Spirit. The things of the Spirit will be on your mind. For to be carnally minded, boy, listen to this, to be carnally minded is death. There's a death that you and I can experience by just being carnally minded. And I don't think <clears throat> to be carnally minded is death. You know, the uh, I've mentioned this on other occasions. Derek, Brother Derek mentioned this morning that 51st Psalm back over there in the, in the book of Psalms. David pouring out his heart to God because his sin has convicted him over uh, his errors of, of chasing after Bathsheba, uh, a man who was a, a, a woman who had a husband, uh, and then taking her husband Uriah and putting him on the front line of the battle so that he might be uh, put, to, uh, put to death uh, to cover up David's sin with Bathsheba. I mean, all those things uh, that, that he did. Uh, and, uh, and David realized that it, that it was wrong the prophet Nathan came to him and then told him a little story about a man that took his neighbor's vineyard and so forth, a little little flock. And so as he was doing that, David became convicted. He said, David says, who is that? I'll go have that man put to death. Nathan looks at him and says, thou art the man. Whew. Makes Makes chill bumps run on me just to even say that and to think about that. David, thou art the man. And then David writes this 51st Psalm, pouring out his heart, and he says, O Lord, return unto me the joy of thy salvation. David had gotten to the point where he had died to the joy of the things of God. And now he's saying, uh, uh, as we read here, he says, to be carnally minded is death. There was a death that David experienced of a separation from that close fellowship he had with God. And he says to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Oh, I tell you, we, we, we quoted this scripture back a few weeks ago from the... Uh, I think the second chapter of the book of Colossians, uh, uh, you're dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Uh, we have a life that's more important than this fleshly life. We have a life that's given to us, that spirit of life that comes through Christ Jesus uh, and the spirit of life that he places within us in the new birth. And, and he tells us to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind, he goes on, into, the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it, cannot, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. We find this verse echoed as the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Corinth uh, over in the, uh, 
second chapter of 1 Corinthians, uh, he, he writes to them there and is talking about the things of God. Um, and he says, For what man knoweth the things, verse 11 of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, For what man knoweth the things of the man, save the spirit of man that's in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. In other words, unless you've been born of the Spirit of God, you cannot know the things of God. Uh, and he says, For what man knoweth the things of man, save the Spirit of man, of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man, but the Spirit of God. For we have, rece for we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given unto us. Which things we also speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man, verse 14, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So the natural man, the carnal-minded man, cannot know the things of God. And when we get into operating strictly in our carnal minds, <clears throat> uh, we, don't, we don't know the things of God. So he says, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. When we're making all of our decisions, and I think this kind of comes into play as we get a little bit further down here into the, this, this book of Romans, but when we're, when we're making our decisions in life, you know, you're, let me just, let me give this, throw, throw this example out to you. You're trying to decide where to go to school, what kind of career to make, uh, how, do, how am I going to find a spouse, uh, how am I, do I buy this house or that house, do I live in this town or that town? You say, the Bible doesn't tell me how to make those, uh, where those decisions are. I don't find exactly uh, that it tells me this is the job I should take or this is the career I should make or this is the woman I should marry. I don't find those answers in there. But you know what? It does tell you if you make the, mind, the decision with the carnal mind, you're going to make a mistake. But if you, to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Uh, for the carnal mind is enmity against God. Uh, uh, indeed, he says, uh, uh, the carnal mind is enmity against, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. <clears throat> the carnal mind just doesn't, it and God don't get along. <laughs> it's the en en enemy of God. Uh, and why? Because it doesn't think like God. You know what the carnal mind does? The carnal mind stands there and looks at that tree that God said don't eat. The carnal mind says, eh, I don't know. <laughs> looks pretty good to me. I know God said not to touch it, but you know what? And then, then you get somebody comes along and whispers in your ear. It'll be okay. God just doesn't want you to have a good time. <laughs> he doesn't want you to know what uh, he knows. Uh, he doesn't want you to become a God like him. Go ahead, try it. You'll like it. Wrong. To be carnally minded, the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. When we're trying to do things, and we're saying trying to make our decision about, you know, 
uh, maybe it's a maybe it's a family argument, <laughs> and we're trying to make our decision. Uh, maybe it's uh, uh, some other thing that's going on. Maybe it's the guy, maybe it's the guy that they said, uh, well, they cut me off down there when I was trying to make that uh, move on the highway, uh, and so uh, uh, you know what? I'm gonna go down there and shoot them. That is not the spiritual mind thinking, okay? In case you hadn't figured that out, road rage doesn't work from the spiritual mind. Uh, so uh, as, uh, as, we're, as we're trying to make our decisions, he says, uh, <clears throat> they that are in the flesh cannot please God. So when we're operating on total carnal flesh thinking, we're not pleasing God in what we're doing. Okay, but he says, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you, now if any man have not the Spirit of God, he's none of his. Boy, I'm telling you, Paul just keeps ringing, ratcheting it down, you know, a little tighter, a little tighter. He says, we, can't, we cannot and should not use the excuse. Uh, well, he said, if the Spirit of God's in you, then you're not in the flesh. You don't, have, you don't have an excuse of saying, well, the devil made me do it. <laughs> that was Flip Wilson back in the day. Y'all, if those of you don't know Flip Wilson, get YouTube out. He's got, it's got everything these days. Uh, uh, but you can go back and see the old comedian back in the 60s and 70s. Uh, he was funny, uh, uh, but he always said, well, the devil made me do it. Well, you know, no, uh, Flip, I, I love you. It was funny on the skit, but the devil didn't make you do it. You decided to do it, and, uh, and you followed after the flip instead of after the Spirit. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Our bodies are dead because of sin. It's, it's, if, it, if it's not, if it's not uh, evident right now, it will be evident one of these days that the body is going to be dead because it's, it's uh, sinful. Uh, and we inherited that from Adam. But he says the spirit is life. You want to know where your life is? Your life is in the Spirit of God. The Spirit is life uh, uh, because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. If you've been born again of the Spirit of God, your body's going to be quickened. Uh, it's going to be made alive. Uh, it's going to be raised up one of these days with His. Even though it returns to the dust of the earth, uh, even though it decays away, uh, even though it lies in the bottom of the ocean somewhere, and no man knows where it is, uh, God knows where it is, and He knows every particle of dust uh, uh, that made up your body. Uh, and He'll change it one of these days uh, into a glorified body that will look like his. Therefore, brethren, we are, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. We don't, owe, we don't owe the flesh anything. The debt we owe today, my friends, is to Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit and to God the Father. That's where our debt lies. He says, if you live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. How do we... Uh, how do we uh, truly live? We live by putting to death 
mortifying the deeds of the flesh, mortifying the things that our flesh wants to do. That's how we truly live. That's how we truly overcome uh, in this life. So he says, therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh. What did the flesh ever do for you other than get you in trouble? What did the flesh ever do for you? Well, you say, well, Brother Charles, I'm glad I got a beating heart. And all. I'm glad you got a beating heart and a thinking mind and all those things. Uh, but I'm also thankful you've got a spirit that dwells in you. Uh, you say, well, I don't, you know, I was thinking about this as I was thinking about scriptures in the last few days. And I thought, you know, <clears throat> I can't see the spirit of God that dwells in me, but I can feel it. Uh, you know, I can't see my heart either. <laughs> <laughs> but it, but I, I can feel it beating. I know I've got one, uh, uh, and I can tell one of the, when the body's not working right and all that. I haven't seen my mind, but I know I can think. Uh, I know God's blessed me with some things that operate and work right. Uh, uh, but the Spirit of God dwells in us, and He says, uh, "If you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit, how do we how do we overcome the flesh?" If we through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. He's not talking about the, by mortifying the deeds of the body, you'll be born again. He's talking about living the life that Christ has already placed within you through the new birth. That's how you live, by mortifying the deeds of the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many are as led by the Spirit of God... They are the sons of God. How do, you know, it's not important really that we know. I mean, I'm talking about that I know, that I look at you and say, he's led by the Spirit of God. He's a son of, that's not, that's not near as important as you knowing. You knowing that you're led by the Spirit of God. That means you are a son of God. Have you ever felt the love of Christ in your life? Then, my friends, what you felt is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Uh, and so he says, uh, uh, if, you, uh, if you're led by the Spirit of God, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba Father. And that word Abba just means Father itself. Uh, but it's kind of a more endearing form of Father. Uh, but the Spirit of God calls us to cry out to our Heavenly Father. You know, one of the things that uh, little kids do when they're, when they're young, you know, they learn, they learn that even before they really truly know who their mother and father are, they know who it is that's taking care of them, right? And they, they learn that because they get hungry. And they cry out. They get to, uh, they get thirsty. They cry out. They get dirty. They cry out. Uh, they cry. And you know what? Who comes? Uh, the father comes. The mother comes. Well, particularly usually the mother comes. But you know, the mother comes and takes care of them. And they learn to be endeared to that one that comes and takes care of their needs and their wants and their necessities. And and they they draw close to. Them. And over time, they'll learn to say mama and dada, and they'll learn to cry out to them. And and that's what he says here. He says you've not received the spirit of bondage again. To fear God's God coming into you the, the new birth coming into you shouldn't cause you to be scared are you scared you know love cares love nourishes love also has to chastise and correct and admonish from time to time but you know the best kind of father father love is not just being afraid of the father all the time 
but loving and respecting him because you know he cares. He cares because he takes care of you. He cares because he corrects you. Uh, he cares because he feeds you. He cares because he nourishes you uh, and shows you. Isn't that what love really is? Love's not, not a feeling I've got somewhere. Uh, love is showing one another that you care for each other by your little actions, by your little words, by your thoughts, by your concern, by your cares. Uh, and he tells us, you've not received the spirit of bondage, but the law was bondage to them, right? The law was a constant bondage. Do this. Don't do that. Go offer so many sacrifices. Uh, go and pay this to this. There was a bondage to the law. He says, you've not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption. Oh, the, when we're born of the Spirit of God, I'll tell you, we cry out, Father, Father, I, I love you. Thank you uh, for, for loving me. And he says, uh, for the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit. That's the capital S if you're not looking in your Bible. Uh, the Spirit of God uh, itself beareth witness with our spirit. That spirit that we have within us, the Spirit of God bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that, you know, it's, it's interesting if you read the, the, the progression of this scripture here, and I probably have done a bad job of this over the years of reading what this is saying. He says, that if, if we're children, first the Spirit bears witness that we're children of God. And he says, if you're a child of God, he says, then you're an heir, and an heir of God. And joint heirs with Christ, <clears throat> if so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. We may be heirs of God, but we become joint heirs with Christ Jesus right here when we, when we, when we suffer with Him. Christ suffered because of, not because of His own wrong, but because of... Uh, of uh, uh, because he was right. <laughs> Christ suffered here in this world. It was chastised and condemned because he came and truly represented God. And uh, so he suffered here as he walked through this old life. And he tells us we're joint heirs with him. And I think he's building to this point of saying, you know, Paul's talking about this conflict going on. He says, do you suffer sometimes with the struggle that goes on within you? He says, you're suffering here in this life. You know, you know the person that's not born of the Spirit of God? He doesn't have a struggle. There's no fight going on within him. Everything's just please the flesh, please the flesh, do what the flesh wants to do. Because there's no spirit there to, to correct and admonish and, and make him feel guilty. There's nothing there. But he says, you and I. We've got a struggle going on. We've got a warfare going on. And he says, when you suffer because of that struggle that's going on within you, then just recognize you're a joint heir with Christ Jesus. Because you know what? If you wasn't suffering, he said, there wouldn't be any struggle. Uh, there wouldn't be, or yeah, I think I got there. You know, the struggle is just evidence of the, uh, and the suffering that we have because of that is just evidence that we're a joint heir with Christ Jesus. Now, verse 18, and y'all probably heard me, if you've heard me do a funeral or two, uh, you might have heard this one somewhere along the way, but it's still a beautiful verse of scripture and put it into the context of this battle that that's going on within each of us that Paul says is going on within him and, he's, and he says this 
For I reckon, if you're suffering here because you've got a battle going on within you of the spirit and the flesh and the, uh, and the carnal mind and the spiritual mind and the, the battle that goes on within each one of us, he says, for I reckon the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Whatever struggle you're going through, whatever battle you're facing, whatever trials you're, uh, you're facing at this present time, whatever it is, it's not even worthy to compare that to the glory that you're going to have one of these days in Christ Jesus. So he says, For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. And he begins to kind of build here about this creation, this creature that he's talking about is actually talking about a creation. Uh, you and I are natural creations of the uh, thing made in the image of God, uh, body, soul, and spirit. Uh, but we're also together as a child of God, born again to the spirit of God. We're more than just that uh, natural creature. We're that combined creature that has a spiritual life and a carnal life living within us. And he says, for the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. What are we waiting for? That glory that he talks about in verse 18. We're, we're longing. You, you, hear me, you hear me preach on it all the time. There's a sense of, of us together here that says, and especially, you know, maybe some of you, you younger folks are like that, uh, but I know some of us older folks, and I speak maybe for me if nobody else, the older I get, the more I long to see him. I, I'll, there, there's a time, the old, we, me and, me and Darcy talking about, you know, she took a little tumble this week and, uh, you know, she, her arm's sore where she fell on, you know, fell on it and then she gets out and does some work in the yard and she said that made her sore, you know, and it's, well, when we were younger, we could do all this, you know, and it didn't matter and we never got sore, never got hurt, never got anything bothering us, uh, but, it, you know, the older you get, the more it hurts and the worse it is and the longer it takes to get over it and all this. And, you know, <clears throat> the sufferings of this present life are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. And he says, for the earnest expectation of the creature, we're waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. You know, I'm, I'm waiting for that day when I'll look up and I'll see I'll see him coming in his glory and all of God's children are going to be manifest or revealed. So I'm looking forward to, the, to this. He says, The earnest expectation of the creature waited for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. As we, as we look at the struggle that we're facing, if you go back to the garden, I have to kind of go back to the garden on this a little bit. You know, the, the greatest, the, the, you know, and I know God made us in his, in his own image and so forth. But, you know, the thing that Adam and Eve struggled with and the very thing that Satan himself struggled with, the reason Satan became Satan uh, instead of that anointed cherub that was in the, in the Garden of Eden uh, was because of his own vanity. He got puffed up. He wanted to be like God. In fact, he wanted to ascend to the throne of God and be God in, in God's place. Uh, and so uh, being subject to vanity, uh, he took, he took uh, that very same tactic uh, when he approached Eve in the garden. He says, see this tree? 
Looks good, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, God says we can't eat of that. Uh, he says, oh, He knows that the day that you eat of that tree, you'll be like God. He went after their vanity and their pride. The very thing that many of us suffer with today uh, is that people will flatter us and, and seek to puff us up and, and make us uh, uh, feel uh, like, well, if you just do this. Uh, he said this creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of Him who subjected the same in hope. You mean we also have a hope? Yes, we have a hope. Uh, you know what? If I tell you this morning, I have a hope, and, and I say whatever. You know, that hope is really not a very good hope unless it's rooted in reality. Follow me? Uh, I can hope for all kinds of things, right? But if my hope is not based in something that's real then it's just a fanciful, you know, mind trip of some kind, you know. That, I'm like, well, I'm hoping one of these days to fly to Mars. Well, brother, just go ahead and hope for that all you want. It's a total fantasy that that'll ever happen. Uh, but go for it if that makes you feel better. Uh, uh, but I tell you what, if I'm hoping one of these days to be raised again, if my hope is being resurrected, uh, I can look back to the one that was resurrected uh, by the Spirit of God uh, and who placed His same Spirit within me. Uh, and I can begin to get a hope that I'm going to be resurrected. Uh, so he says, The, the creature uh, was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of Him who has subjected the same in hope, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of the corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. I want us to think about this morning as we're, as we're kind of drawing down toward the what will be my closing remarks, I guess. Is you and I, you know what bondage you and I have today? Part of the bondage that we have? The bondage is the flesh. That's what limits us right now. And he says the creature, uh, because the creature itself shall be delivered from the bondage of the corruption into the glorious liberty of the sons of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but we ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of the body. Why are we looking forward to the body being redeemed? Because the body's what causes us problems. The body's what causes us death. The body's what tempts us. The body is what uh, uh, causes many of the trials in our life. This flesh, he says, we're longing, we're looking, we're groaning uh, and waiting for the adoption. To that word to wit just means, in other words, <laughs> to wit, uh, uh, the, the, the redemption of our bodies, the, the day when the bodies themselves are going to be redeemed. Now, we're not, we're not saying that Christ didn't purchase us all, body, soul, and spirit, when he died for us on the cross. I'm, I, we're not, that's not what Paul is saying there. But ultimately, that final redemption... That final, you know, we've been, uh, the, the Jews have been going through this, uh, this uh, fall feast season here for the last couple of weeks. Uh, and the, the first day of their new year, which was about a little over two weeks ago now, uh, that was the Day of Atonement. You know what that Day of Atonement means? That Day of Atonement means covering. It's a one of these days we're going to get a new covering. Uh, God's going to give us a new cover. He's going to totally redeem us and atone for us. Uh, not that He didn't do it on the cross. 
but he's going to make it totally new for us one of these days. And he says, the, 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 we're groaning, we're agonizing and waiting for that redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope. <clears throat> but hope that is not seen, uh, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, what doth he yet hope for? Okay, so, so a couple of things. The hope that we have, we haven't seen. But you know what? That's what, that, what? that's what makes it hope. I'm hoping that one of these days this body's going to be changed into a new living body. I've never seen that done before. Have you? I've never seen old sinful body turned into a glorified body. Now, James, James and John and Peter got pretty close on the Mount of Transfiguration when Christ peeled back his flesh and allowed them to get a, glory, a view of that glo the glory that he had uh, there on that mount. But I'll tell you, we haven't seen anybody's body changed yet, but we believe that it will be and that it's not just a fantasy, that it's based in reality. And part of that reality is the fact we've seen Christ after his death, burial, and resurrection, resurrected, uh, and we've also seen him come back and appear to the Apostle Paul on the road of Damascus. We know there is a resurrection, and we know he's been resurrected. So our hope, he says, we're saved by hope. How are you and I, and I'll bring this to a close. We'll stop here for the day. How are you and I saved by hope? We're not saved eternally by hope. Uh, and I, when I say that, we're, we're not made to, to be delivered from our sins by our hope. But we are able to overcome this, this struggle that we have. One of the ways that we overcome this struggle that we have is by looking forward to the day when it's going to come to an end. There's a hope, there's, a, there's an uplifting part of that. And you and I, if we begin to live more like that, looking, not, I'm not talking about just out, you know, living in fantasy land all the time, uh, but part of the way God helps us get through this life and overcome this flesh and overcome this struggle that Paul's been talking about all the way through Romans 7 and now into Romans 8 and this carnal mind, this spiritual mind, this flesh and this spirit, this, the law that condemns us, the way we overcome it is realizing there's a victory laying out there in front of us. There's a hope. You know, the, the, the warrior... The warrior doesn't want to, you know, kind of like the, well, okay, so we're in the south. I'll give a football to you. You know what? I don't want to go on the field of battle, my friends, unless I, there's a hope that I'm going to win. There needs to be an anticipation out there. And I'll tell you, you and I have got more than a hope of a football team. We've got the hope of a resurrected Savior that we've already seen that's gone before us. That saves us from a lot of the struggles and the trials and then he goes on, and we'll get into this maybe a little bit more as we do. But he says, if we, but if we hope for that that we see not, we then do with patience wait for it. I'll pick up there next, uh, next Sunday if the Lord, Lord willing. And I want you in the meantime to think about this. Abraham had a hope that he would have a son one of these days. But he had to wait 25 years to get that. It taught him some patience in waiting on God. You and I are looking forward to the day when there'll be no more sin, when there'll be no more struggle. You know what you and I are to do? We're to hope for that, but patiently wait for it. And in the meantime, serve God. May God bless you as we go through this and look at this uh, as we go forward. Love y'all.
Hope you're able to overcome your flesh a little bit this week by living more spiritually minded. May God bless you is our prayer.